Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20. I have the passage for you on the insert. Whenever I have opportunity to teach the Meet the Pastor class, it's basically an introduction to the church, and I usually will say to the members of the class, if I were looking for a church, there are two guiding questions I would ask. Um, the first one is, uh, what is the doctrinal standard of the church? And that, of course, uh, has to do with what does the church believe about the Bible and about Christ. The most important feature of the church's uh, existence, really, is what it's committed to in teaching. Now, we have a written statement in our church. It's pretty lengthy, the Westminster Standards, as they're called. Um, you may go to a church or visit a church where they, they say they don't have a written standard. Well, then the standard is whatever the pastor's teaching is, uh, whatever that pastor's understanding of the scriptures. That's the doctrinal statement then at that point. So my second question that you would want to ask is, uh, what is the governance of the particular church? Um, how is it governed? Because whatever you say the doctrinal statement is, that's only as true as the governance promotes it or supports it or upholds it. So those are two really important questions. The doctrinal standard of the church and how is the church governed? Our church seeks to follow what we have laid out for us in the book of Acts and then through the New Testament uh, this idea of governance by a group or a plurality of elders, presbyters, that's what Presbyterian comes from, presbyter for elder, multitude of elders, governing, leading, shepherding the church. And we see here Paul in Acts chapter 20 giving an exhortation to the elders of the Ephesian church, where he has spent three years laboring in ministry with these Ephesian elders, um, this group of men who are called to nurture or tend the flock of God. So this is timeless instruction for us as we see Paul speak these words, and we see the other apostles um, echo the same kinds of words, and we see um, throughout the ages uh, the way the church has been upheld by a plurality of godly leaders who understand their role as under-shepherds of Christ, the great shepherd. With that preface, we come back now to a passage we've already begun. We'll go backwards in order to go forwards a bit, starting at verse 28. This is the last part of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders before he leaves them for a final time. Please hear, this is God's holy word. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not see, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father, as we continue to study this exhortation from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders, please give us clarity of understanding. Please teach us by your word. Help us to understand and apply your truth here revealed. For the elders of the church, give us conviction and encouragement. For the members of the church, give us appreciation for your appointment of under-shepherds. As a church united by the ongoing sanctification of your spirit, Grow us in your grace so that we might be witnesses for Christ and a people who point to you and seek your glory alone. I pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now, before we turn to Acts 20, please follow a scriptural progression with me for a moment. These are some verses you're probably familiar with, but follow this progression. I think it will help us appreciate what Paul is saying here in the commissioning of under-shepherds in the church. The first reference, Jesus was watching the lost people of Israel flounder about spiritually, and he came and ministered first primarily to the Jews, and as he observes, Matthew says this about his observation, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Now, after he rose again from the dead, he's commissioning his disciples to be apostles. And he's talking to Peter. John 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. So you see first, Jesus recognizing the need for shepherds and now telling Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, later, as he writes to elders in the local church, 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So Peter, recognizing the commission from Christ to shepherd Jesus' sheep, to serve as Jesus' servant, in leading, in tending the flock. Then we come to the passage before us, Paul speaking to the group of Ephesian elders he's about to say goodbye to in verse 28 of our text. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So in light of this progression, Jesus leading to the elders of the church For the purpose of shepherding, the author of Hebrews writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The message of Paul to the Ephesian elders that we are studying says this to the elders. To the elders of the church, you are commissioned under shepherds of Christ, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. 
Elders of the church, your job is to build up and protect the flock of God. Elders of the church, Paul says, your labor is for God's glory, not man's approval. And Paul uses his own example about this. But there's another message, not just to the elders of the church, to the rest of us or to us as a collective flock, we might say. All of us are accountable to somebody, to elders in the church for that matter. Even the elders of the church are accountable to the other elders in the church. So there's something else for us as a body of believers. The message you might say that Paul says implicitly or gives implicitly here, Christ loves the church so much that he calls and equips certain men to care for you, to make it their life call to care for you. God loves you so much that he calls men for that purpose. Christ has provided elders to build you up and to protect you. That's what they're here for. And Christ does not want you to idolize them. They're fallen people like you, redeemed people, fallen people though, specially equipped to tend the flock. And Christ doesn't want you to idolize your elders or your pastors. He wants you to see them pointing you to Christ. As a shepherd cares for his sheep, we see once again from Acts 20, the elders are to care for the church with this kind of vigilance. Some of what I say will repeat what has come before, and that's okay. It's on purpose. It's that important. Let's be reminded, verse 28, first, that elders are under-shepherds of Christ. Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So be introspective, consider your own spiritual well-being, and also the spiritual well-being of the flock that you are appointed to. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So it's by special appointment of the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the church itself, with special enabling by the Holy Spirit, to have oversight, and not for domineering or for ruling, but for tending, leading, nurturing, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And the word overseer here is used synonymously with elder that comes earlier in the passage, And it's also used synonymously with bishop, pastor, elder. All of these words mean the same thing. To do what? To care for the church of God. Whose church? Which he obtained with his own blood. So elders serve by the Holy Spirit's guidance, direction, and commissioning as servants of Christ to tend Jesus' sheep that he loved so much that he gave himself for her, the church. You know, the most prevalent picture for God in the Bible related to his people is that of shepherd and sheep. Now, the most prevalent picture of God in the Bible is as king, as the sovereign one. But now, personally, applied to those who are redeemed through Christ, he talks about those people as his sheep, and he's the shepherd. In the Old Testament, in a general way, God called himself the shepherd of Israel. Also, in the Old Testament, as the prophet's by God's inspiration, start to forecast the coming Messiah, they describe this divine Messiah as a shepherd for the sheep as well. So now it's not just God the Father, but God the Son also is identified as the coming shepherd. When Jesus comes, he calls himself the good shepherd in John 10. Other New Testament writers refer to Jesus as the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. So the good, the great, and the chief shepherd is Christ, 
who is the fulfillment of God as the shepherd of his people. God himself can be the only chief shepherd, head of the church. That's who we have in the person of Christ by God's appointment. When Jesus speaks to Peter after he's ready to ascend into heaven, he doesn't give up his chief shepherd status. He simply tells Peter, I want you to work as an agent of pastoral ministry. I want you to operate as an under-shepherd, shepherding the sheep. Then Peter, as the church starts to grow, he says to elders in the church who had been appointed that you are under-shepherds, by extension now, to lead the people of God, to nurture, to tend the flock. Paul says the same thing now in Acts 20 in the passage before us. Elders are the same as pastors. Elders are the same as overseers, the same as bishops. There are different things that we may do within the eldership. Some are focusing on study and training for the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Uh, But all are supposed to be overseeing spiritually and are on equal level when it comes to ministering to the church as a collective, what we call, session. The group of your elders dedicated to your spiritual growth and protection. This is the model we see taking place and taking hold in the New Testament. All these terms synonymously used for the same basic job to build up or edify and protect Christ's flock. 28, again, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And I want you to notice what will drive elders to do their job well so that they function as the under-shepherds they are the last part of verse 28, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders are to look to the church's ownership, not to the church's membership, for encouragement in nurturing. I mean no offense to the membership, but our passion comes from how you've been bought and who bought you. Knowing you are Christ makes us serious and passionate about your watch care. Someone gave me a reference to Albert Barnes's commentary after the last sermon, which referenced this. And Barnes said very deeply, ministers of the gospel should be deeply affected in view of that blood which has been shed for the church. And they should guard and defend it as having been bought with the highest price in the universe. The chief consideration that will make elders faithful and self-denying is that the church has been bought with a price. If the Lord Jesus so loved it, if he gave himself for it, they should be willing to deny themselves to watch and toil and pray that the great object of his death, the purity and the salvation of that church, may be obtained. We are under shepherds of Christ. I want you to notice, secondly, Um, the task that they are called to. Um, Elders are called to building up and protecting the flock, helping the flock to grow deeper and stronger and more solid and also sounding warnings for them interpersonally or something that might be coming from without, whatever the case, to be warning spiritually. Verse 29, notice what Paul says and we'll derive this point. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Notice, he says that he knows it. 
He doesn't say, you know, just in case something happens, I want to give you some words of exhortation to build you up, to prepare you. He doesn't say that. I know that after I leave, there will be some fierce wolves that come in among you. This could be false teachers who come in. This could be false ideas that make their way in. But Paul knows it's the case, and so he's being careful to protect them. And this is a picture or a model for the elders of the church, to be diligent and vigilant. Verse 29 talks about wolves coming from without, but look at verse 30. And from among your own selves, Paul warns them, from within the church will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's warning the elders that they have to be aware of even inside the church, things will crop up that they need to watch, give watch care for, to watch out for, to correct when it comes up. Now, sometimes things will arise. They're just honest um, errors and things that just we make mistakes concerning in the body of Christ. And the eldership should be ready to address that with love and pastoral care. Sometimes it's a lot more malicious than that. Whatever the case, Paul warns, your job is to build up and to protect. Build up by teaching what the truth is, confronting error with truth, and then protecting by noting how these things are perilous. The call to do their job or carry out their task is in verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Your elders have to be aware of what's happening. Um, There has to be discussion among the eldership about those perils that face Christians, the beloved flock of Jesus. What could confront our flock, Jesus' flock? How can we build them up doctrinally, biblically, practically, so they can withstand the, the unique things that happen age to age. And the elders are to be alert. Be alert. Remembering that for three years, now he's calling attention to what they witnessed him do. Remembering for three years, Paul says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So it's a 24-7 calling for a shepherd, an under-shepherd of Christ. And Paul is saying, remember how I was? You thought I was just obsessed with what I was doing or I was a workaholic about it or whatever he, they may have drawn Uh, the image that may have been drawn when they thought of Paul's ministry. He's saying, remember how it was. That's how it is for shepherds in the church. That's how it is. And furthermore, it'll even drive you to tears. It's so difficult. It can be so challenging. The perils of the flock can be so significant that it will cause you great toil and great strain. But what can we possibly do as mere men who are sinners like the rest to Be faithful. What do we have at our disposal? Lord, if it's just us, we're in trouble. But verse 32, after making this statement, drawing their attention to the example he left, he gives them their equipping. He lets them know what they have at their disposal to be faithful under shepherds of Christ to the flock. Notice in verse 32. Now I commend you to God. He's saying to the elders, I give you to God's care, to God's enablement. So God gives us abilities beyond what we're able or could conjure on our own to help us with a pastoral heart towards the flock. Now I commend you to God, and here is the key, and to the word of his grace. What about the word of his grace? It's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So first, at your own level, you need the word of his grace so you could grow and then be enabled to help everyone else grow. That's the work he's doing in the life of the under-shepherd. 
the word of his grace. Now, I was trying to think of a way to express this, and something came to mind. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, Peter was the oldest of the Pevensey, the four Pevensey children who went to Narnia. The children were called, in essence, to rule Narnia on behalf of Aslan. Now, there were many times throughout the novels where there was this this uh, speaking out on the part of the children about how we are children, how could we be kings and queens? How could we possibly do this thing Aslan has called us to? In various points along the way, Aslan would send somebody to encourage them in their calling. And there was an occasion with Peter where Father Christmas, kind of this wizard-like figure, shows up seemingly out of nowhere in order to give some equipping gifts to them so they can carry out their calling. And he gives something in particular to Peter. Here's the interchange. Peter, Adam's son, said Father Christmas. Here, sir, said Peter. These are your presents, was the answer. And they are tools, not toys. The time to use them is perhaps near at hand. Bear them well. With these words, he handed to Peter a shield and a sword. The shield was the color of silver, and across it there ramped a red lion, as bright as a ripe strawberry at the moment when you pick it. The hilt of the sword was gold, and it had a sheath and a sword belt and everything it needed. And it was just the right size and weight for Peter to use. Peter was silent and solemn as he received these gifts, for he felt they were a very serious kind of present. And as you know, the story unfolds. Peter used that sword to defend his siblings and others and kill Maugrim the wolf at the stone table. And then later again, he used that sword in the great battle against the white witch's army. There's Paul talking to elders who are saying goodbye to Paul. They couldn't imagine ministry without his wisdom. And he commends them. He gives them gifts. He reminds them of something that they have at their disposal. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Elders, what we have is the word of his grace. That's not a toy. That's the word of Christ. God's grace is Christ. Christ to us sinners who cannot know God except for God reach out and right our wrongs and he does so by giving Jesus on our behalf and as we rest in Christ we have access to the Father. That's the word of his grace. That's the gospel of grace. That's the Bible's message. The word of his grace. So elders, this is what you have. Not your wisdom, not your vocation, not your money, not your background or your family. You've got one thing. But what a thing it is. The word of grace. The gospel of Christ. That's what the elders have. And let us never forget that eldership. That what we have to give to the people of God is the gospel of Christ. It's the thing they need for their building and their protection able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The gospel is the means by which God saves. It's the means by which God builds up believers. It assures our laying hold of the inheritance provided through Christ. It's the tool for growing us spiritually, and this is what the elders have been given. So we should feel uh, very inadequate as human beings called to this task but we've been given the message of the gospel that we must lay hold of first and then give that to those who we are given care over on behalf of Jesus. Well, I want you to notice something else about the elders' ministry exhibited in the life of Paul, and now we move into the verses that we didn't cover last time. 
we see by his description of ministry in Ephesus that the elders are to labor for a very specific cause, that is the glory of God ultimately. Yes, it's for the protection and the building up of the people of God, and that is for God's glory, not for people's approval or for some kind of recognition or accolades or material things that might come to you because you're appreciated. This is a challenge for us as elders or anybody who's in front of others. We're given responsibility. But look what Paul says in verse 33. He wants us to recognize this as elders and the church to recognize it. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. In other words, I wasn't looking to try to be rich or gain like many people have. I did not come to you with this ministry so that I could get recognition or become more powerful or influential or have some kind of status like people in the world have. That's not my purpose. That's not what I'm doing this for. He says, just note the way I came among you. Verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. So when he came to them, he didn't charge anybody anything, and he didn't ask for sustenance because he didn't want them to think he was just there to make money. He came to bring them the gospel and didn't want any hindrances, so he worked as a tent maker, a leather worker, and he did this for a while. Now, we know he also received sustenance from people, people provided, but he was careful to make sure it was understood. At that point, it was something they were giving to God to help propagate the teaching the apostles and the elders were doing. But to make no mistake, I'm not here to make money, Paul says. I'm not here to become the most popular of all the apostles or pastors. Elders labor for God's glory, not man's approval. A.T. Peterson's talking, or Pearson, excuse me, was writing on this topic of who we are laboring for. And he said, the supreme test of service is this, for whom am I doing this? Much that we call service to Christ is not such at all. If we are doing this for Christ, we shall not care for human reward or even recognition. Our work must be tested by these propositions. Is it a work from God as given us to do from him, for God, as finding in him its secret secret of power in Christ, and with God as only a part of his work in which we will engage as co-workers with him? It's a temptation for anybody in leadership to desire the approval of people, to desire recognition, fame even, the idea that I would be the most popular elder or pastor. And it's, there's so many temptations. It's always been this way. But especially today when you can become known very quickly, if you post enough on the internet or on social media, you could become that wise person that everybody wants to follow on Twitter or wants to listen to your podcast. And you can easily become distracted, especially true for teaching elders or pastors, um, where they just want to gain. At first it starts out like, I would like to contribute to the wider church by making some insight. Uh, but then it becomes this kind of appetite for, for recognition so that other people would follow and they would see and they would see how profound I am. And you see where this goes. And, and this heads in a bad direction. It's, it feeds egos and sinful, a sinful desire to be famous. Whereas Paul's evidence or Paul's example is he labored in Ephesus for three years and focused on those saints to the point of tears. He was called to Ephesus. So pastor Ephesus, Paul, you don't have to be on Twitter all the time. You, you, if you want to be, make sure it's about like the Yankees or something, not about how you're a better pastor than everybody else or always have a statement of spiritual profundity that will outdo everybody. Uh, focus on the church you have because the church you have will have plenty plenty to keep you busy. 
more than enough to keep busy. Focus here where God has appointed you. Don't seek recognition or fame. Just do the job God's called you to right under your nose. And the Lord will edify his church in a wide sense in the way that he ordains without pursuing it personally. That's what we see evidenced in his time there at Ephesus, and it's a good example to us through the ages as elders. I want you to notice, lastly, verse 35 down to verse 38, the total personal investment the elders make in their shepherding. Understood that these men had vocations beyond ministry in many cases, especially those who were like our ruling elders, uh, lay elders who served in those roles. Yet they were so driven by the commission of Christ that they, they poured themselves into this shepherding investment. And it's evidenced by what Paul says as he is leaving and the reaction to his leaving. Look at verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying, give of yourself, leaders in the church. Don't focus on what you'll get back. Labor, 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 toil to the point of tears so that people could know Christ better, so that they could become more devoted to Jesus, that they can celebrate the excellencies of Christ more regularly in their life and in their heart. Labor for this. Pour yourself into this. It's more blessed that you give to people in this respect than to receive that ministry back, speaking to the leaders of the church. Follow Paul's offering of himself where he says he poured himself out as a drink offering for the cause of Christ. Help those who need spiritual growth and strengthening by giving of yourself. This prompts Paul to write later in his life in Colossians. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This toilsome effort that he makes so that people would grow in Christ is a picture of how elders labor with full personal investment in their calling. Verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. You see how much they loved him for the ministry that he brought to them. We know Paul said it like it was. We know he confronted sin. We know he said some difficult things. Yet they are weeping when they know he will leave. They're broken with the idea that they would not see him again as he predicts going to Jerusalem would be his end. If not Jerusalem, he would go on from there to Rome. If not Rome being his end, he would go on from there to bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world and they would not see him and they were weeping and they embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful, verse 38, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. You know, the life of the elders of the church is one of total life investment. When the flock hurts, they hurt. In my 22-plus years of ministry at Redeemer, I've been blessed to, and, and to be surrounded by godly men, a stellar group of elders who understand their role as upper, under shepherds, who understand life investment in building you up and protecting you. Um, each has served with full personal investment. You know, one elder that I miss greatly in this regard is Bob Albright. Uh, Bob was the epitome of personal investment. Um, He took his calling as an under-shepherd very seriously. I thought it was very appropriate that Diane put on his memorial stone 
on the back of it, if you see it, it says Elder Albright. Because that's how we know we knew Bob. Elder, this congregation knew him. Now, other people may say, who is Elder Albright? Who cares? He was here to shepherd you with full investment. And he gave his energies that way. I know firsthand because I saw it for 22 years and interacted personally with him all the time. And you know, it wasn't just about preaching the word to you. He did that faithfully, upholding the word. It wasn't about saying hard things when they needed to be said because he would say them. He'd say them through tears. Lots of tears with Bob. But he loved the flock here. He loved the flock greatly here. In fact, he didn't only do that. I will bet you if I do a show of hands of how many people have a bike that you got from Bob or something built from Bob, whether it be a porch or steps or whatever it would be, that's the man he was. He was an elder fully invested in the life of the flock. And he always had as his ulterior motive that you would love Christ more. And he would say oftentimes in difficult, challenging times as elders, when we were dealing with cases where it just felt like we weren't getting through to one of the sheep, and he would say uh, to us or sometimes to the person, he'd say, it's not, don't follow us because we're fallen too. We, respect, we appreciate that. We know that. We're not judging you in that respect. But we're saying, follow us as we follow Christ. And he would quote from 1 Corinthians. He was pleading with people to see the need to follow Jesus. That's what a shepherd of the flock does. That's what we have Paul encouraging the, Corinth, or the Ephesian elders to do. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Total investment for the sake of Christ and the good of the flock. They all embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not see their face again. Elders are under shepherds. Elders are to build up and protect. They are to labor for God's glory, not man's approval, and they should do so with full personal investment. You know, the bulk of this sermon, quite obviously by the outline I just reviewed, is aimed towards those who are called to be elders in the church. The outline spells out what we should take from this exhortation of Paul as church leaders. But please hear me. The message is for all of God's people as we are all part of God's church. Use this exhortation of Paul to be mindful of the calling to eldership. Use this exhortation of Paul to pray for your elders regularly. Use this exhortation of Paul to give thanks to God for your elders. Use this exhortation of Paul to consider the role they have in your spiritual life by God's design and calling. You know, I like to use a kind of a humorous illustration to make this point, but I think it works, and so I'll bring it up. Um, You probably remember the old Willy Wonka movie that Gene Wilder was in in the 70s. It's the the better of the, the ones that have come out. In that movie, Willy Wonka invites five children to visit his chocolate factory. The children were given very strict rules for both their safety and the safekeeping of this factory. Those children were Augustus Gloop, Violet Beauregard, Veruca Salt, Mike TV, and Charlie Bucket. At the beginning of the tour, Willy was really energetic, and he was vigilantly protective of the children and the factory. At first, he pleads, he pleads with Augustus Gloop to stop leaning over to drink from the chocolate river. Now, who could blame Augustus? But it was dangerous. It was not good. And so Willie, all jumpy about it and begs with him to not do that, but Augustus ignored him and fell into the river. 
Similarly, he tried to warn Violet Beauregard not to eat the everlasting gobstopper. He warned her vigorously. It was not fully tested yet. Don't eat this. This could be dangerous. We don't know what will happen. But she thought she knew better. She put it into her mouth and sucked on the gobstopper and eventually turned into a blueberry. With each child ignoring his pleas, Wonka grew more and more weary in warning them. They just wouldn't listen. He got tired of telling them. By the time Mike TV refused to listen to Wonka and jumped in front of the camera that reduced his size to that of a mouse, Wonka had no energy left. No, don't, stop, he says. That's all he could muster. The children's repeated ignoring of his warnings eventually drained him of the energy he needed to do his job with them. Now, I'm not saying that you, the members of the church, are children or like children. But I am saying, gather a bit of what Wonka's attitude was when no one would listen. Or they just wouldn't hear him any longer. And then hear the words of Hebrews 13 afresh. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we are all pilgrims here on this earth, longing for our eternal home. There are so many distractions along the way. This life is filled with so many things that can steer us in the wrong direction, even to our eternal peril. We thank you, God, for giving us your word to guide us, to remind us, to feed us. We also thank you for giving us spiritual leaders, men that you have called to minister your word to us, men that you have appointed to be sure that we never forget the gospel, men who have been specially charged with shepherding us, even when we want to refuse any shepherding. Lord Jesus, thank you for the provision of under-shepherds. May we follow them as they follow you, Lord Jesus. Please bless and keep our elders. Give them encouragement in their labors for you. May we follow and support them in such a way that their shepherding ministry would be a joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.